All right. Hey there, everybody out there in Property Profits podcast land. Dave DeBow here with another episode with an old friend and a guy who is steeped deep, deep, deep in real estate, Mr. Tim Reed, zooming in all the way from beautiful Calgary, Alberta. I've known Tim for whew, at least 10 years now, and I've had the pleasure of speaking at his real estate investing group and He's spoken for our folks and we've worked together and it's been a long-term relationship. And Tim does a lot when it comes to real estate investing. These days, he's really kind of focusing on taking duplexes and turning them into fourplexes. Love that idea. He's also a realtor. He also coaches people about real estate investing. He's run clubs. He's done all sorts of stuff. So Tim, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Dave. I'm just honored to be on the show here today and hopefully give some valuable insights to your audience and uh, known you for a long time. Surprised we haven't done this earlier. Exactly. All right. So, Tim, let's take a look at what you're up to right now in the real estate investing realm, not so much the, the work as, your, as a realtor, but what you personally are doing in real estate investing in and around Calgary. I hinted at it. You're turning duplexes into fourplexes. What does that mean and why are you focusing on that at this time? Great question. So what's going on in the Calgary market right now, just from the investment landscape, is investors have got a lot of competition for against your retail uh, folks. So some of the strategies like flipping, rent to own, a little bit tougher to acquire the property. So what we decided as a group was we were going to look at doing some more buy and hold and how to optimize, or we like to call it animation is the process we use when we buy something that's a, a duplex with illegal basement suites that we want to bring that up to code, do the windows, do the renovation, make them properly legal, get it certified from the city. So that way we've got the equivalent of a fourplex without the fourplex price tag. Because when you look at that property class, it was a purpose built fourplex here in Calgary. It's just so much more expensive uh, to buy than it is to convert one. And with the renovation skills that I've built over the years and having the right connections, it's it's worth the trouble to do it. Very cool. So are there a lot of duplexes that are actually illegal fourplexes in Calgary right now? There's quite a few. And Calgary being one of the, I'll just say it a little bit backwards, uh, like we are in Alberta with certain things that... When you look at uh, attached properties, you couldn't put basement suites in them and get them legal for years. Mm -hmm. They just changed that about two and a half years ago in Calgary. So I think it creates a big opportunity to take some of those you know, illegal basement suites and the city wants that, right? They want fire code mat. They want them certified. Of course, that raises your taxes. The city loves that uh, as well when you get them properly permitted. And there's a whack of them out there that have been running like that for years that have been a little bit run down, kind of that deferred maintenance special that we really love because we can take that and add the value, tune it up and, and get it properly certified. So there is a, a good number of them out there here. So so walk me through an example, if you don't mind, Tim. So what are you looking at these days typically as an entry point for buying one of these non-conforming type uh, duplexes that, that actually already have suites in them, illegal suites in them? What's kind of a an average purchase price these days? So I would say you're probably looking at between 490 and 590, right? Depending right, on- So five, let's say five to 600,000, give or take, yeah. to round things up. Yeah, exactly. Five to 600. And the equivalent for a 
purpose-built fourplex that's all conforming and everything, not necessarily in top shape, but an average fourplex. If if the non-conforming duplex is five to six, what would the fourplex be going for? Wide range here in Calgary, but yeah. the minimum be about 750, right up to 1.1 million. Uh, yeah. uh, it was a fourplex in a really nice kind of trophy neighborhood just sold for 1.150 as to give you an example. All right. Very good. So you're getting these for five to 600. How much does it on average cost you to renovate these and bring them up to snuff? So we've been in the industry a long time. So our cost basis is probably a little bit lower than, than some that might be getting started or are in the medium you know, skill level, but I would budget about 25,000 a unit is probably a good budget uh, on average that will get you where you got to go. And the last one we just did, we built a four car garage. So that of course raises your uh, budget up a little bit, but also raises your revenue significantly because we rented them out not for storage. We did them as workshops, which is a little bit of a unique use and uh, getting much higher than renting it for just storing your tools. Yeah, no, that's smart. That's really, really smart. Okay, cool. So if it's so 25 per unit, 25, Per the four units or in the non-conforming duplex thing or 25 for each basement suite? Would it be 50 grand to bring that up or 100 grand to bring the whole property up? 100 grand to bring the whole property up if it needs yeah. work. If the top if the top units are pretty good, then you'd probably only have to spend the 50 on the bottoms. Okay, got it. That makes sense. Okay, very good. And then typically, how much of a boost on top of the 50 to 100 grand that you put in do you get from uh, the increased value now that the property's a legal fourplex? At least double on yeah, the, wow. on the income approach. Uh, of course, the, you know comparables you can't really use that because it's going to be unique <laughs> compared to other duplexes without the suites legalized. Uh, I'm seeing on average with the legally suited property, it's between uh, a residential. It's usually fifty thousand dollars extra. Now, because of the rates, mortgage qualifications, just what's going on in the market, people really want that legal because you can count it on your mortgage now. Right. So it helps you qualify, right? You got it. You got it, Dave. So that's the big difference. It's making more of a value lift than it used to because now that's a big factor for folks. So you mentioned earlier, Tim, that it's you and your group. So what what kind of a group do you work with to make this all happen? What, What does your team look like? Yeah, so on my power team, of course, I've got our, our couple of, uh, well, couple, because I say we only need to use a couple for projects like this. We got our mortgage partner, we've got our contractor uh, friend who's a partner of ours, and we've got my finance uh, friend who used to be an ex-banker, so he structures all the mortgages. And then my part of that is acquiring the deals and negotiating and structuring them in a way where we can you know, make them the most profitable. So you need, of course, all your trades. We kind of have a friend that's our jack-of-all-trades partner that does a lot of the work. Yeah. And then uh, you know, we have our property management folks, which help us with leasing and sometimes evictions, You know, heaven forbid, but it does happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you've got to have a great lawyer. And, uh, you know, great access to materials. And that's, uh, you know, just some of the members of our power team, but it's it's broad. But our internal group is about five, five people are our internal partners. Got it. Very, very cool. And these kind of properties, are you are you buying them with the idea of holding on to them long term or what, what are the plans with them? Yeah, we're looking to keep these ones for the, the longer term hold. And depends who you ask, but we're planning to keep this one forever. <laughs> well, it makes sense. I mean, you You've you've made it all pretty. You've increased the value. Probably, uh, what kind of a boost do you get on your rents now that the basement suites are pretty and conforming? 
Oh my gosh, such a difference. The rental market's also gone crazy here in Calgary. So we were fortunate to kind of catch that upswing, but we were getting a thousand dollars in the basement, just shy of, and now we're getting 1450 downstairs, 15, uh, 1550, 1600 upstairs. And, and that's a split with the utilities as well. Very cool. And Tim, what are you finding these days works well for you for, for finding these kind of deals? Are these typically off-market deals that you're looking at? Yeah, we're typically looking at them off market. Uh, there's a couple that we lost out on on the market because, of course, you're you're competing with other other folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but typically, it's off market. I would say ninety percent to ninety five percent of the time. Very cool. All right, and what what are you? So that's what you're doing now. Um, are you doing these on a regular basis, or is it kind of here and there? And and what are you looking to do over the next year or so with your portfolio? We're looking to find more value add uh, multifamily right here in Calgary. If we could find uh, you know ten or sixteen or twelve unit building that we could do the same thing with, uh, you know, add that revenue, do the renovations, do the value add. I think there's a, a generational changeover starting to happen. We're seeing some more properties even on the MLS. So we're doing a little bit of guerrilla marketing, doing some direct mail out to some places, pulling title and searching people uh, that own properties and going back through you know, databases and other agents that have dealt with multifamily to see if we can kind of drag somebody out of, uh, out of the rabbit hole, as it were, and get them to sell us the property because that's where the best deals are found. And I think that uh, there are some tired landlords and people inheriting properties, right? Where mm. the next generation wants no business of running a rental property, right? They just yeah. want to take the money and run. So we're doing our best to market to those folks and see if we can track down some more deals that way. So that's oh, what I see as, as, as the future. And the other factor when interest rates go up and now a property might be a bit over leveraged, now they kind of have to sell. Uh, and that is, they're going to start to push the prices down because the cost of money goes up. That's just how that works, of course. And we're looking for those opportunities to see where we can snap up some larger buildings and do the same business model. So Tim, I know you've worked with private money, uh, other people's money, private investors, joint venture partners, whatever you want to call it for quite some time. Uh, How does that kind of fit into your model right now? Oh, it's a critical piece of the model, Dave, and have you asked, because when we started the, the last one, for example, we thought that the budget was going to be X and it wound up being Y. So we had our, our capital invested in the project and then we had to bring in a private lender to uh, finish the renovations and, and do some things with the garage because, of course, you get some scope creep in a project here and there. Uh, we brought in the, the private money and, and paid it back and then we bored it again <laughs> to do some other stuff. Because with that deal, we did a purchase plus uh, mortgage. So purchase plus improvements where you can build in some of the rentals into the deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing is, you got to you got to do all that work yourself first and the bank gives you the money after. Right. Contrary to popular belief, sometimes there's a misconception there. You get the check right away. doesn't work like that. So we had a lender come in for that part. And then we had a, another lender come in to uh, help do some of the other extravagant rentals we did in the garage. So private money is almost... Uh, always a component in the deal because the bank only gives you so much. So we use- So you're, you're using private money primarily as kind of bridge financing for these kind of situations. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, that's right. To get the reno done and you know just fund, fund the interim expenses, not so much for acquisition. Although we're probably going to be getting there for the next few because you got to be able to move really quick, make a super aggressive offer in the multifamily world to be able to get the right price. 
and you got to move quick because, oh my gosh, the banks will just take forever and you lose the deal. So acquisition for larger deals, we tend to close private and then we refinance to the bank down the line. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's a little bit more expensive up front, but you're paying for that speed. You got it. Yeah, very, very cool. So you're planning on keeping chugging along with what you're doing. Is there is there kind of a target that you have? Are you looking to add X number of deals over the next year? Or is it just really, it's too hard to, to, to do it that way because it, it's so dependent on what's going on in the market? You know, I'd love to pick up 50 doors this year, but, it, but because of the, the, the flow, the steady, you know, the steady drip, I'll call it, of opportunities that we see, uh, we're making offers. I mean, we're making offers every time we see something that fits our criteria, uh, but they don't all stick, right? And it all comes down to the numbers. You got to make sure you do your due diligence, run your, run your numbers really conservative right now because of the changing world, right? The economy's changing, banks underwriting is changing. You know, how we did things six months ago isn't how we're going to do do things now six months moving forward. Yeah. Uh, so we have to be a little bit more conservative. And I'd rather, uh, you know, candidly, I've made some mistakes in my real estate uh, career, and I know you have too. <laughs> and I, I learned from Definitely. those. So we're a little bit more cautious maybe now than we had been a little more cavalier in the past. And I think the way with uncertain economic future and uncertain capital markets, we have to be that little bit extra uh, conservative. So we're going to pass on a deal we might have done, you know, last year in the summer uh, now because the world's different. Right. No, it changes quickly. That's for sure. And you have to be nimble and and roll with the punches, so to speak. So, Tim, you've you've been doing this stuff for a long time. You've been, you know, you've run real estate investment clubs and organizations. You've hang out with a lot of other real estate investors. Uh what are what are some of the bigger mistakes you see people making or you yourself made back in the day? You talked about being a little cavalier. What are, what are kind of the typical screw-ups uh, newer real estate investors are making that you see over and over again? Great question. Great question. Man, there's so many. <laughs> How long do you have today? <laughs> well, well, let's just pick one or two, the bigger ones. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I mean, it's a long list. We probably could do a whole call about that. I would say not uh, not building a big enough contingency into your renovation budget, and that goes across all uh, all types of projects, big, medium, and large. That always overestimate your your cost that it's going to take to do renovations. Uh, that's a big one. Uh, certainly seen that one. And the next one I would say ties with that is the time. Right? If you think it's going to take a month, plan on it taking three months because if you wind up three months in the future and you don't have a plan for that that can cause you some major grief. Um, and then number three, which I think is a big one for new investors, is they they think that they might be able to get different financing than they really can. Uh, for example, you know, the Burr strategy, we hear a lot about this. And depending on the area of Canada you're in, it works much better than some others. And it's always been a pretty challenging market here in Calgary for that, because we have such a cyclical economy because of our energy-based economy. That's Alberta-wide, not just Calgary, yeah. uh, that the banks are always conservative for that reason, because they know that sometimes the 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 tide goes the other way here in Alberta, because yeah. we don't have as consistent natural appreciation. And coming from other markets to Alberta, they think that it's kind of the same where they're going to do a project and then do a refi and they don't quite get the money out that they were planning. So I would say those are the, the top three that I've seen over the years. Well, that's, yeah, that's very, very well said. That reminds me, I was talking to a an investor the other day and, and she was saying, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to have this project kind of like a burr type deal. 
we're we're gonna have to we're gonna have it done by whatever it was, let's say the end of March. Uh, I've told my contractor we have to have it done by then because we've got tenants moving in April 1st. How's it going? Oh, uh, gosh. Your, your, your contractor doesn't care. <laughs> I, mean, I, I hope you've got a plan B for those poor tenants, even if it's camping out your, because they're foreign students or something like that, even if they're camping out in your living room for a couple of weeks, because the chances of that happening are pretty, pretty slim. So yeah, whenever you're working on those you make, you make a great friends. you make a great point and that leads me to another uh great uh lesson here is that you have to project manage any renovation deal okay you cannot set it and forget it you cannot trust the contractors unless you've known them for years and, and even then <laughs> even then you still got to check in on them like i have a friend that flips about 50 60 houses a year in calgary every year and even he has problems with yeah. contractors and if anyone's got it beat it's him so that's a that's a good point dave they're gonna have to get a hotel or a bb lined up because if it goes over time those poor tenants are gonna be real <laughs> upset <laughs> pretty sure it will too yeah anyhow no that is that is fantastic tim I, I appreciate that your your wisdom so what are some of the the hiccups or the challenges that that you're facing with your business i understand deal flows a little bit more challenging in, in today's market, uh, the cost of money is a little bit more challenging. What other kind of challenges are you having? You know, I would say that the underwriting criteria of the lenders in the commercial side is getting tighter, mm. uh, is frustrating. Certainly, that's a, that's a challenge. Uh, I'll give a quick example. There's a commercial uh, property another investor I know is buying, and he's putting 40% down payment. Wow. Tenants in place. It's got the right debt ratio coverage, like DCR, they call it, debt coverage ratio. It should meet all the bank's checkboxes, and they won't do the deal. Wow. It's the, it's the strangest thing. Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense, but they're, they're how, clearly- How many units, just out of curiosity, how many units in that property? Four. Four tenants. There's three leases right now, one vacant. But even okay. with the vacancy, it covers the, the loan at current rates. It just doesn't make any sense. So that's been uh, aggravating. Well, that's, that's one of the challenges, right? Because that's that's under that five units. So it's it's a residential mortgage. And they're looking- well, That's actually a commercial property. It's a warehouse for four bays. Oh, I'm sorry. It's, okay. a, it's a small industrial. So that that's troublesome. Uh, I've seen uh, the insurance companies, uh, like if you're going to buy a, a property, you know, live in live in one and rent the bottom house hacking, right? Yeah. Um, being really sticky about that type of criteria now. Uh, that's been an interesting challenge I've never seen before in, in my, you know, tenure in the business. That's an interesting one. And, and people, uh, investors and so forth, I mean, Zoom and phone calls only go so far. Getting people to meet in person uh, is a bit of a challenge. Uh, not so much because of the pandemic stuff. Just I think people are less likely to meet in person now. We, we got lazy. We got, we got Yeah, we did, right? Yeah. We got lazy because of Zoom and the pandemic. And uh, this is an in-person relationship-based business, right? At the end of the day, that personal visit really goes a long way uh, for your current investors, for future prospect investors, uh, joint venture partners, you know, all of this meeting in person really is a part of it at some point. And it's harder to get people together <laughs> in person than it was before. Uh, that's a challenge these days for sure. Do Are, are most of your investors local to Calgary? Most. Yeah. yeah most are. 
Here's here's something that you probably know um, July Odo. July's yeah. a very very experienced real estate investor, and we have have the pleasure she's she's a, a client of ours now. Um, she does something very very smart with her investors, and that is holding an in person celebration get together party meal type thing. Um, so that. That's a good way to, you know, free food is a good way to get people out. <laughs> Got it. Maybe a little vino. <laughs> free food, vino, entertainment. That's a good way to get people. So throw a party, buddy. That'll, especially in Calgary, everybody likes a party. <laughs> Rent a booth at the at the Calgary Stampede. That'll get them out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think we're we got some ideas. We're looking yeah. at bar, another big barbecue. That's always fun in the summer. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, getting people together for like a wine and cheese type thing. I I think there's also. A bit of a, a wants to get out, get out in person. Yeah. Uh, I've gone out and done some more networking in person. I I joined uh, another kind of more business centered uh, club that I knew the owner for a long time, and they're just getting their events rolling again. Yes. So I think it's it's time people are kind of craving that. You know, getting in. I person think I think you're right. Yeah, I'm I'm recently joined my because of that exactly joined my local Rotary club, and we're noticing a lot more people are starting to kind of come out and get antsy or itchy to mix and mingle in person. So I, I think it's, it's turning around a little bit. We're getting, we're getting a little zoomed out these days. So that's good news. Well, and, and it will tell you this uh, for all those investors that are going to listen to this, that every in-person networking event I've gone to recently, I've got three to four good contacts that are probably going to turn into business. So- well, Hey, you know what, while we're on that topic, because you are a master of networking and quite frankly, I'm not. So what, what would you recommend as some good tips for people like myself, who kind of suck wind at uh, going out there and mixing and mingling and and getting those conversations going without coming across like that used car salesman type guy. Great question. Great question. It's actually, uh, I do do a talk on this one uh, when I used to do it in public. So I'll do that one again. Thanks yeah. for reminding me. So uh, always lead with value, right? People care about this radio station, WIIFM, what's in it for me radio, yeah. that how can you help them? right? What's their current business challenge, right? What's their story, right? People truly do want to talk about themselves. Maybe not introverts like you and me. I know uh, people might not think that me being on this podcast, but that is one of my things. I'm an introvert. I'm a computer guy. I like to do things online and talk on the phone rather than be in person. Uh, But that's the big thing. Ask them what they do. Ask them their story. Like when I approach someone and shake their hand, I say, I ask them what's their story or, you know, what's, what's going on in your world and how can I help? Right. That's not, Oh, what do you do for work? You know, you got to break the mold and do something a little bit different. And your two objectives is to be memorable uh, and be helpful. Right. Cause people are going to remember that. Oh, that guy asked how he could help me rather than just uh, you know, small talk about, Oh, I do this for work. I do that for work. Because if you talk about that too much, people might discount you and your service and whatever else. Oh, I'm not buying a house right now. I don't need a realtor or I'm not planning to invest today. I don't, I don't need a real estate investor. Mm-hmm. But if you just ask them how they need help and if they ask you, you tell them, right? But tell them in the briefest way possible and then go back to them, right? Like, oh yeah, I do some real estate investing, but tell me more about this or tell me more about your kids or your dog or your cat or whatever it is. Because you got to mm-hmm. build a relationship. Uh, and not a transaction, right? You're not in a networking group to, uh, you know, get 100 business cards and put them all in your database and email them and, and try and get business. You're there to build a relationship with another human being. And you got to get to know them 
uh, as a human being to see if you even want to do business together as people. Uh, the rest is secondary. If you can nail that first part, and that's some of the ways that I found work really good. Just uh, you know, be different, be memorable, and be helpful. Those are. The I, li- I like that. So I, you remind me again. What do you, like when you're first just kind of shaking somebody's hand? What what do you what what's your go to there? Uh, I usually start with uh, you know what's uh, there's a few things <laughs> I've yeah. done a few over the years. But at the moment, I'm just asking them what their story is, right? I and like that. Or, what's you your, know what? Hi, hi, I'm Tim. What's your name? And what's your story, John? Or what? It, it's kind of yeah. And they get a laugh, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, should I start from the beginning?" Or or whatever, right? And they get some thinking and laughing, and and then you're then you're having fun, right? Yeah. And that's that's key. You got to make it fun, especially for me because it's challenging and uh, it's not my you know I don't wake up in the morning and go yeah I want to go network. So for me, I got to make it fun and laugh and have a good time yeah. and. Uh, that's what's worked well for me to kind of, you know, get you out of your shell and, yeah. uh, you know, meet with people. Well, I get, but, but here's the brilliant thing, Tim, it's getting the other person doing most of the talking, right? That's the thing. And, and it's easy you to keep it. them rolling once, once they get going. So, okay. So you, let's look at an example. You said, I think it was today or yesterday. You went to one of these meetings, you made four good connections. Okay. That's great. You had those great conversations. Then what, what do you do to keep not not just make that initial connection. And like me back in the day when I was fumbling around trying to network, collecting a bunch of business cards, which I promptly did nothing with. What do you what do you <laughs> what are you doing to get that relationship rolling? So it's about follow-up, right? And you make a yeah. good uh, point there is and however that works, right? I'm old school, like leave a voicemail, nobody checks them anymore. Uh I even have in my email signature, leave an actual message, I do check them. Uh, but, you know, text them, call them, book the second meeting, right? Book another call, go to their office, you know, go for coffee, grab a lunch, right? Continue building that momentum and building that relationship and finding more about the clients they serve. Because ultimately, you go to a business networking event to find out how you can collaborate with other business owners, right? Mm-hmm. Send them referrals, they send you referrals, they might know someone who knows someone that needs what you do. Um, and then that they get to know you through that process, through that second meeting. But that second meeting is still more about them, right? It's still more about them learning about their business, who their ideal client is, if they're not in business or they're thinking about getting in, because some of those people are, right? They're new to real estate or they're, you know, got a new business or just starting. That's awesome, right? I love people like that because you can refer them business. Uh, but you got to get a hold of them, whether it's social media or LinkedIn. I mean, I always get their phone number. Uh, the, the thing it's easy now, I used to carry a little, you know, notepad and I would have them write down their phone number if they didn't have a business card that right now I'll just text them right then and there and say, yeah. hi, Jane or Bob, you know, Tim, the investor, uh, met you at such and such an event. Uh, and then that way you can go back through text messages and remember, oh yeah, I met Jane at this, this place. Yeah. Uh, well, you got to write the phone. You got that, that. Right. It's simple. It's easy. It's it's low, you know, low tech, but it works. And then you can go back through your messages over the following week and then reach out to them and book that second meeting, whether it be a Zoom call uh, or a phone call or a meet in person. I like to meet in person where possible, but sometimes you just do the scheduling. Zoom call might make more sense. Uh, And you you can just send them a quick text. You've already have. You got them right there. Yeah, exactly. Hey, nice to meet you. You know, when what's your schedule like over the next week? Uh, is a simple, nice way to do that. But try to do it within kind of three three to four days uh, after mm. the event, just so that way they remember you because we all have short memories nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good, good points, Tim. Awesome, my friend. Time flies. So if people want to reach out and connect with you, what's the best place for them to do that? 
So the best place would be to go to my website. It's www.phoenixrealestateinvesting.com. And that's Phoenix like the city. And just click uh, book a call and fill a little form and it'll go right to my email and be honored to speak with you. Awesome, my friend. Well, thanks so much for showing up and, and being a great guest. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Honored to be here. All right, everybody. Take care. We'll talk to you on the next episode.